How's everyone doing today? Good. Uh, how's everyone doing? Good. Great. Uh, so I, what, here's what, something I've discovered about that sentence. Uh, I think we often use that phrase and we'll say, hey, how are you doing? Uh, and then more often than not, what's the answer that usually follows? Like, I'm good. Right? What? Yeah, I'm good, but. Or, but more often than not, we tend to pretend that we're fine. I'm not saying, Helen, you pretended at all. But I think more often than not, we say that sentence and we'll say, hey, how are you doing? And we, for some reason, whether it's cultural conditioning or whatever it is, we tend to want to avoid saying how we actually are, right? I mean, anyone here ever guilty of saying, hey, I'm fine? Hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm good, right? And I think what happens a lot, too, with that is, Inside the church, and maybe this idea develops uh, on Sunday mornings where we tend to want to put on our Sunday best, right? We want to wake up and we might have an outfit that we say. It's one of the things I love about the Panton Church is we don't emphasize that. And I think that's a good thing. But we tend to want to put on our Sunday best. And I don't just think, we, I mean our clothes. I think we often want to put on our, our Sunday best, our, our smile, uh, we want to pretend a bit. If I can just pretend for a couple hours, I'll put on a smile, and I don't have to show that anything's wrong, and I can pretend for a couple hours. Anyone feel that? Right? And I think we all do that sometimes, where we don't quite know how to process, quite know how to work through it, but it's easy to pretend. And so this morning, I want to look at a text. I want to go to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're, we're going to end up Looking at five very familiar verses at the end, but I wanted to walk us through uh, the entirety of Isaiah 40 uh, with this kind of notion that I want to leave all the pretending out there. You know, I don't know all the hurts. I know some of the hurts that some of us bring into church this morning. I know the hurts that I bring into church this morning. Uh, Tia, it's so good to have you back and hearing your tears in Sunday school. I'll say this was actually nice. Not that I at all like, yes, I love watching you cry, uh, but it was beautiful to, just to see that honesty and that rawness, to say, you know what, maybe I'm not okay fully. And so I want to invite us this morning into Isaiah chapter 40 and say, you know what, we'll leave the pretending out there. We'll leave putting on our Sunday best out there. And let's receive some comfort this morning from Isaiah chapter 40. So I'm going to go ahead and read through uh, the entirety of the chapter. Uh, honestly, I want to look at just the first two verses this morning and then the last five, but I want to read the entire thing to kind of get a, a thrust and a feel for what's happening here. Oh, yeah, and, and to forget, I can't forget this. Let's start in at the end of Isaiah 39. The end of Isaiah chapter 39. And we'll start in verse 5, and then we're going to read all of chapter 40. Here's what we read. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. That nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. I'll stop right there and say this, that the Lord's saying to Isaiah, listen, tell, my, tell Hezekiah this, tell my people this, difficulty's about to come. There's going to be some darkness that's going to come. There's going to be some pain that's going to come. We read through these few verses and we kind of 
we miss that. He said, listen, you're going to come to ruin. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. And then verse 8 of chapter 39 says, Then Hezekiah said to the Lord, The word of the Lord that you have... The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. It's a little bit of humor there. I tend to think of Hezekiah as a good king, but you read that and you're kind of like, oh, he's a little like rat. He's happy about the word of the Lord because it doesn't affect him. There's a little side note to that. Give Hezekiah a good little punch in the neck when we get to heaven. But now Isaiah 40, in the context of suffering, in the context of pain, and pain that is coming, we read this. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level in the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. And the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. He will tend to His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms and He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand? and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket." And are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would, be, would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing. An emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlay it with gold and cast for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? 
Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. And when he blows on them and they wither and the tempt- and tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, no one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand, or my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted, but they But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen, right? I love that. I, I love, there's a, it, it's got such a cadence to it. I love where Isaiah will write, the Lord will talk to him like, have you not heard Have you not seen? Do you not know? Do you not hear who I am? We're going to get to the end. We're going to get a little bit of benediction there at the end. Do you not know that I am the everlasting God, the one that doesn't faint, the one that doesn't grow weary? It's good news for us who are weary this morning. Those those of us who are struggling, those who are, whether facing health, of, of all sorts, whether facing transitions, whether facing any kind of pain we're facing, this is for you. This is for me this morning. Isaiah starts in verse 1 of chapter 40. It, and it's interesting that it comes in right at the end of chapter 39 where God pronounces judgment. He said, judgment's coming. A little bit of the biblical narrative there. Babylon's going to come carry you away. You're going to lose everything. Even your kids are going to be sold off into slavery. Your kids are going to serve the king of Babylon. And God says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. I love that word. The word comfort is really important. It's a very strong word. It means to speak tenderly to. It means to sit with. It means to put your arm around. It means to give a hug. It means to tell you, it's going to be okay. I'm going to comfort you in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your circumstance. In this context is Babylon coming. He says, comfort for you. Isaiah, speak comfort to my people. 
because they need it. And two things come out here. Uh, the first being, when we read comfort, when we read comfort, comfort my people, uh, two things uh, come out in that text. Number one, it implies a people that are in need of comfort. It implies a people in need of comfort. This doesn't apply to people who don't need comforting. He's not writing this to people who are cushy and have it all put together and have no suffering and try to pretend and play that they're fine and unscathed by the sinful world. It implies suffering. But more than that, the second thing, it implies, and this is beautiful, it implies a God who is able to comfort. Isn't that great? Right here in the first verse, it says, listen, there's comfort. If you're here and you're tired and you're worn out and you're exhausted and you're wiped, whatever circumstance you're facing, this text says, listen, admit it and own it. I need comfort. Kind of ties into our masculinity sermon from last week. I'm horrible at that. It means saying, no, I need comfort. And the beautiful aspect of it, friends, is God is able to give the comfort. Tia, I'm so glad you're here. God is able to give you comfort. Mike, God is able to give you comfort, brother. Amen? He's able to give you comfort. I love that. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. It's not crying in a sense of sobbing or sadness. It's meaning proclaim to her loudly. Yell to her. Yell to her this message. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. He's saying, remind her that the end of all this suffering is coming. This is finite. This struggle you're facing, this difficulty you're facing, I'm able to comfort you. I will comfort you. Tell Jerusalem I'm going to comfort her. This isn't a forever thing. In some beautiful language, I love that he says that her, tell her that her warfare is ended. All your struggle, all your fear of enemies coming in, all this oppression that you're facing, Israel, you, you, it's over. Through the cross of Christ, friends, can I argue this, that your warfare is over? What a thought that is. This struggle to try to be good enough to pick yourself up, this fight, this existence within a sinful, broken world, while it can be so beautiful, can be so filled with pain, so filled with struggle. Milk prices bottom out, right, Dan? Difficulty comes. It says your warfare is over. It's going to be a day your warfare is going to cease. That our iniquity is pardoned, Amen. What a thought that is. And specifically here in this context, he's saying, listen, there's going to be a day, Israel, that the sin that got you to get carried away by Babylon is going to be done away with. We'll put ourselves into this text, and it says, your iniquity's done. You've been forgiven. Beautiful proclamation of the gospel, hints of the gospel right here in Isaiah of the fruits of the gospel that say through belief in Jesus, his recognizing of your own sinfulness, his belief in a need of a Savior that is not yourself, your iniquity is taken away. Isn't that fantastic? And then the end of verse 2, it's kind of weird. In the context of comfort, in the context of speaking tenderly and telling her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned, 
We read that she has also cried to her that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. What is that about? What's, what does it mean? What do you mean? If you're going to comfort me, you're going to be tender to me, you're going to comfort me, you're going to tell me my warfare is done, you're going to tell me my iniquity is taken away, and then you're going to tell me that, how does he phrase it? That I'm going to receive from the Lord's hand double for all her sins? Here's what I think happens here. This is really good. I think it's rooted in the idea of your sins being pardoned. And I think it means that we've received way more than has been necessary. I think this is what happens here in verse 2. That you've received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. That you've received more forgiveness, way much more in trade for your sin. You've received way much more in trade. Double. Double what was owed. Double what was due to be paid. You've received double blessing and grace. It's a beautiful thought. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 16, I think, bears that out. If you'd turn there. John chapter 1 and verse 16. And I'll back up into verse 14 to kind of get a little, little bit of the cadence here. Uh, starting in verse 14 of John chapter 1, we read, And the Word became flesh. And he's speaking of Jesus, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. In verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon what? Let's say grace upon grace. Jesus would say, I've come to give you life and life to the full. The thief would come to, to steal. The thief would come and bring death. I'm going to come give you life and I'm going to give you life full. I love Isaiah, the end of Isaiah, verse 42. says, you're going to receive, you receive double from the Lord's hand for all your sins. Beautiful thought. As the voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Go back to John chapter 1. I probably should have told you to keep your finger there. John chapter 1. We read this. John chapter 1, verse 14. And we just read it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here it is. You ready? And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isaiah said, friends, there's coming a day when the glory of the Lord will be revealed and we know from John's Gospel that the glory of God to be revealed was Jesus. He's hinting, he's saying, Jesus is coming. And I think for us on this side of the cross, it means this, that when he came first, he came as a helpless babe. Remember that? We know the incarnation. We know the Christmas story that he came as a helpless babe, that he grew up, 
that he was crucified, he was dead, he was buried, all of that resurrected for our salvation. But we know this. And here's what Isaiah 40, verse 5, means for us on this side of the cross, that where our Jesus came as a helpless babe the first time, the second time he's coming as a conquering king, and we are his people. That's what it means. That's coming. Amen? Your king is coming. That means the fickleness as we read the news. I don't care what party you belong to. The the, the fickleness of the political divide and the uncertainty of our world. And as we all get nerved up and as we all are a little worried about it, the hope of the gospel says, this ain't your home. I'll put it in the vernacular of my friend Matt. This isn't your home, bro. There's something greater coming. And he's coming. Let's go to the end of Isaiah chapter 40. So there it is. There's the intro. Comfort. The offer of comfort. The promise of your king coming. All of that hope, all of that truth that is yours, that is mine, all of that weight, starting in verse 27. If all of that is true, if the gospel is true, Albert, great job in Sunday school. If the gospel is true, Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? He's saying, child of God, if all of that is true, if your sins have been paid in full, if your warfare is done, if your iniquities have been pardoned, why do you say, God, have you forgotten me? You see that here? That's what he's saying. Am I hidden from the Lord? Is my right disregarded by my God? Anyone ever feel that? Am I on an island here? Have you forgotten about me? Mighty God of the universe, you know, the one that can cause guys to cross the Red Sea? What about me? Here I sit. What about my pain? What about my infirmity? You said you'd heal it. What about me? I love that he brings that up. He says, why, why do you say that? Why does Travis say that? Why do I go there? Why do I doubt? Why do I forget all that is mine in the gospel? And I love what he does in verse 28. He he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? He's almost asking, Christian, like, don't you know this? This is Christianity 101. This is gospel 101. This is simple stuff. Don't you know? Don't you know what this means? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. They said, don't you know the God whom you're dealing with? The God whom is your Father? The God whom Jesus has brought you to? Don't you know your God? The everlasting God? Both Eternally forward existing, eternally backwards existing, implying that he's smart, he knows what he's doing. Have you not known your God is everlasting? 
which implies, by the way, that you don't have to be. We're going to get into that, this whole thing about being faint and weary. It's really good that God is everlasting and that God is strong enough because it says, Leah, you don't have to be. That I don't have to be. I don't have to pretend like I'm everlasting. I know we're eternal beings, but I've got to walk around this earth acting as if I have to have it all put together and controlling every little thing as if I'm strong enough to do it because my God, my daddy is the everlasting one. Not me. I love that. Not only that, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And this is a fascinating phrase. Not only does he say, God is the creator of all of this stuff, including you, Brenda, including me. He's the creator of it all, but he creates it and knows it to the uttermost. He uses the little phrase here, to the ends of the earth. It means every final little detail, every little speck of dust, he's designed, sustained, controls, currently, presently, in this moment, he knows it. From beginning to end, us included. Have you not known? Don't you know that's your God? He does not faint or grow weary. Can I get an amen? Ever want to faint? Tia, physically, can I laugh at that? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, like, not only maybe physically, but spiritually, mentally. I can't do it anymore. I can't face this anymore. This is way too hard. I can't push forward. I'm weary. I'm going to faint. Christian, your God doesn't faint and doesn't grow weary. You can. It means you don't have to be super strong and act like you're perfect and have it all together. Your God is. He's not going to faint. He's not going to grow weary. And here's another little cool part about that. He's never going to grow weary over you. He's not going to faint and grow weary over Travis as frustrating as I am. And I know that sometimes he has to scratch his head. He's not going to faint and grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And here we go, verse 29. He gives power to the faint. He gives power to who? Church, who does he give power to? More than that, who does he give power to? Who said that? The weak. To the faint. It doesn't say that he gives power and he's going to give strength to those that have it all together. It doesn't say that. That's why you read in the New Testament that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Love that thought. I love this thought in Isaiah. That he gives power to the faint. Into him who has no might, he increases his strength. There's no bit of arrogance in here. There's no bit of self, like pulling yourself up by the bootstraps type of mentality here. It says, no, own it. You're weak, you're faint, you're in need of comfort, and he's able and willing to give it to you. 
Are we humble enough to admit that? Am I humble enough to admit that I'm weary and that I'm faint and I feel like fainting? I think it's okay. I think it's actually predicated upon us even being in close proximity to God as us being able to realize, here God and I'm not. I had a friend say that, uh, my, my good friend Randy Curtis, um, a while ago when I was still uh, using Facebook often, and he put up this, it was some kind of Facebook status that he put up about, uh, hey, you know, we're, we're having our, our first child, uh, what should I teach them? Like, just quick little piece of advice, like, what should I teach them? And this old Bible professor, Tom, Dr. Tom Davis, said that there is a God, and she is not him. <laughs> like, that's good. I love that. But boy, isn't it great that he doesn't grow weary? Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. He says, even our best, even those at their best, even those that shouldn't, that are going to go strong farther than any old person in here, even they're going to grow tired. Young men are going to fall exhausted. Then verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. That's huge. You know, you know what it says? It doesn't say, I'm going to give it to those who are helping themselves. I'm going to give it to those who are strong enough. I'm going to give it to those who are fighting, those who are pushing forward and trying to conquer and make this happen. It doesn't say that. It says, I'll give it to those who wait and are willing to sit and stew in a bit of the chaos and wait for his hand to move. I love that offer here. I love that offer. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. I want to keep this idea in our mind that they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Revelation chapter 21. I, I, I think that what Isaiah is getting at here in Isaiah ch- chapter 40, verse 31, is kind of this, both this figurative and literal statement, this figurative statement of this is what you're going to be like. They're trying to find some kind of poetic expression, but I also think it's a literal promise, and here's what I mean by that. Revelation chapter 21. And this is at the end of all things. This, this, is, this, is, this is it. This is the culminating, this is what we're looking for. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now catch this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. I love that statement. For the former things have passed away. We read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, and the promise that they shall mount up with wings like eagles, and the promise to run and not be weary, and the promise to walk and not faint. All implying this, that the formerness of this life, of this sin-tainted world, this this formalness of all of your brokenness, all of the causes of your pain, done. No more. I love that. That's what he says. There's going to be a day that you're going to mount up with wings like an eagle. You're going to run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen? There is coming a day when all that will be true, that all of your pain, all of your sorrows, every every causal element of your pain, not only are your tears going to be wiped, the things that cause your tears are going to be done away with. And you will run. What an offer that is. And the reason why? Communion is all about it. The reason why, the reason why we have the offer of hope, the reason why we know we have the promise is that all of this is going to be done away with, and I'm going to receive comfort, not only in little coming waves, but there's going to be a day that I'm going to experience full comfort. Interesting thought I just had. Maybe you won't even need to be comforted when you're in heaven because you're not going to need to be comforted. But we're going to experience full comfort Because of the gospel of Jesus that proclaims this, that your warfare is ended, pardon is made, and the grace you have received is more than double the amount needed for your sin, all poured out through the cross of Christ. Amen? Some good stuff. Comfort. Comfort my people. Friends, I hope you're comforted today. Rich, Dan, would you guys come forward and help uh, distribute the elements? So we come to communion, uh, the communion table, with this interesting thought. I love the beginning phrase of Isaiah chapter 40. That your warfare is done. That your iniquities have been pardoned. That the elements that we're about to participate in are nothing but these visual reminders, but very important visual reminders that express to you this morning that your warfare is done. That pardon has been made for your sins. Amen.